Hello, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 10 of Dr. Music. I am Matthew Marullo. Thank you so much for joining me again. If I say the name Scheherazade, does that ring a bell? Well, Scheherazade is the princess of the very famous collection of Arabian stories called 1001 Nights, or Arabian Nights. And it happens to be the subject of a very famous tone poem written by a Russian composer named Nikolai Rimsky-Korsakov in 1888. And it's a four-movement suite, and I called it a tone poem because it tells a story. Now, it doesn't tell a thousand and one stories because then the piece would be pretty darn long, but it just takes selections from the stories. For instance, the first movement is called The Sea and Sinbad's Ship. Second movement is called The Story of the Kalendar Prince, followed by The Young Prince and the Young Princess, and then finally Festival at Baghdad, and the ship actually breaks against a cliff in that last movement. Now, for those of you who are not too familiar with this story, A Thousand and One Nights was cobbled together from all of these stories taking place in ancient Iran, specifically the Sasanian Empire, which happens to be the last Iranian empire before the Muslim conquest. And the stories take place, uh, we're not exactly sure, we can't pinpoint it, but around the 8th or the 9th century AD. And the way the premise goes is there's a uh, sultan named Shariar who discovers not only is his brother's wife unfaithful, but his own wife is unfaithful. So his way of revenge is to go to bed with all these virgins, but then kill them. Well, one of the virgins named Scheherazade is very clever. She's very well-read. She knows a lot of ancient stories. So what she does is she finds out that she's doomed, and she decides to tell him one of these stories that night. And when she's done, he says, oh, well, keep going, keep going. I really enjoyed that. Tell me another story. And she says, no, they're too long, maybe another time. And so he keeps her alive, and then the second night, She tells another story, and this goes on for a thousand and one nights. But by the end of that time, Sharyar falls in love with Scheherazade and decides to marry her. So there you go. A thousand stories over a thousand and one nights, and she was able to save her own life. Good going, Scheherazade. Now, the original stories were only about 40, but it wasn't until the 18th century that the English language version had come out. And by that time... Other writers had inserted stories in the compilation that weren't in the original. For instance, I'm sure you've all heard of Sinbad. As a matter of fact, it's part of Rimsky-Korsakov's tone poem. Well, Sinbad was not in the original collection, nor was Ali Baba, if you ever heard of Ali Baba. And the famous story of Aladdin and the Magic Lamp, I'm sure you've seen the Disney film, that too was not in the original. Now, Nikolai Rimsky-Korsakov, although he's not a household name, not everybody knows about him, But he was an extremely talented composer, very important composer during the late 19th century. He was the teacher of Igor Stravinsky, and as a matter of fact, very much influenced Stravinsky's early period. Rimsky-Korsakov was an excellent orchestrator, and that's another way that he influenced Stravinsky. He was able to find very, very innovative ways of combining instruments to produce new coloristic effects with the orchestra. And he influenced a lot of composers just by his orchestral method. He even wrote a textbook on it, and I own that textbook. It's pretty much a standard. Anybody who seriously studies orchestration is probably going to own Rimsky-Korsakov's book. 
What I'd like to do is look at the very beginning of the first movement, the C and Sinbad's ship, because this is one of the best musical representations of the C. Of course, you also have other pieces later on, like La Mer by Claude Debussy. La Mer means the C. But this one is really, really great. It's one of the earliest ones. And when you listen to this music, you get a picture in your head of the sea. It's just incredible how he paints that picture musically. That's why it's called a tone poem. So what I'll do is I'm going to play the beginning in segments and explain how he develops a very simple idea. Some of the greatest composers generate a lot of music from very, very simple ideas and often very short ideas. And this is a really good example. This is very interesting how he presents this theme. It's not the usual way that you think of a theme, and I'll explain as we go along. So let's listen to Daniel Barenboim conducting the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. This is the very beginning, and the very first theme that you hear is the King's theme, Sherryar's theme. So that was a very brawny, masculine theme in the beginning. But then it gets quiet with these woodwind chords. That's because he's preparing to introduce you to Scheherazade's theme. By the way, those woodwind chords at the end of that excerpt, they remind me very much of part of Mendelssohn's A Midsummer Night's Dream. I'm referring to the very beginning of the overture. Here's Seiji Ozawa conducting the Boston Symphony Orchestra. Now, I don't know for sure if Rimsky-Korsakov was influenced by A Midsummer Night's Dream, but I sure would like to ask him. Now, following that, we have Scheherazade's sweet, lovely voice depicted by a very famous solo violin. Let's listen to that. Of course, Scheherazade's theme is more mellifluous and graceful and soft, and it has those beautiful descending groups of three notes. Da 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 da. Because remember, she's just not telling Sherryar stories. She has to charm him. She has to use her charming voice. Now, what 
Rimsky-Korsakov is going to do now is he's going to write music that depicts the vast openness of the sea, of the ocean. And he's going to do it by bringing back the first theme, Sherryar's theme, the king's theme. And within that theme is built in a structure that allows it to develop in a very special way, which we're going to be talking about. It develops in a way that not only brings back the king's theme, but it somehow paints a picture of this vast open sea. So let's listen to a little bit of the music following Scheherazade's theme. So, do you have an idea of what he was doing there? A usual tune or a theme usually is, consists of what? It consists of phrases. And your traditional classical theme comes in an antecedent phrase or a question phrase and a consequent phrase or an answer phrase. That's how many melodies are built to this day. They have a structure. They have like a beginning and an end. But in this case, his technique is really just repeating the same segment over and over. But what's changing? Well, the harmony's changing. He's repeating it, but at the same time, he's transposing it. The notes are getting progressively higher every time he repeats it. And if you've listened to some of my prior episodes and prior seasons, you might remember there's a word, there's a musical term that describes that technique where you're repeating a segment of music, but each time you repeat it, the pitches are shifted. They're shifted either higher or lower, in this case, higher. Do you remember what that's called, anybody? That is called a sequence. Now, a sequence is a musical technique that you can use within a piece, but generally speaking, a sequence is not a theme. A sequence can be used as part of a theme or part of a piece, it's, it's a good way to develop a theme, but most of the melodies out there are not themselves sequences, but this one is. This melody is really just a bunch of repeating segments. You could think of them as repeating phrases, but there's no structure in the sense that there's no question phrase and answer phrase. It's the same segment repeating, but he's increasing the tension. The notes are getting higher and then you might have noticed at the end of that segment that I played that the rate of repetition was increasing. So not only were the notes getting higher, but he was repeating at a faster pace. Now, when you're composing a piece about the vast open sea, why would you want to use this technique? Why would you want to write a melody that is a sequence? Well, look at the ocean. What do you see? Isn't it the same thing 
over and over as far as the eye can see. It's just waves and ripples just stretching out forever. So if you're trying to depict this vast open space that just stretches out as far as the eye can see, what better way to do that than some kind of a repetitive technique? Something that gives you the impression of a repeating vastness, something that goes on forever. Because a melody doesn't go on forever. A regular tune has phrases, right? It has a beginning and an end. But the way he composes this, it's just a repeating sequence. And there is tension because it's getting higher and the rate of repetition is increasing. And that builds tension. So it's not like he's just repeating the same thing over and over. Now, what about the character of the melody itself? What is it about that particular melodic segment that he keeps repeating over and over that lends itself to repetition ad infinitum? Well, for that, I'm going to have to go to the piano and play you one chord at a time, which might sound cumbersome, but it will really make you understand what it is about this melody that succeeds in painting such a vivid picture of the sea. Now, recall that Sherryar's theme in the introduction goes like this. Now, this is in a major key, so the first chord is major. But listen to the second chord. I'm going to play the first chord going to the second chord. Now, just in terms of the melody itself, he's implying either an Aeolian or a Mixolydian scale. These are old scales that date back to the Middle Ages, so they predate the major and minor mode. So even though we sense that the piece is in the major mode, we're still getting a sense, a shadow of these older scales. And that makes sense because using an old scale makes us think of very old stories that date to 8th century Arabia. But also, the second chord right after that major chord is a very colorful chord. It's called a French augmented sixth chord. Now, if I were to explain what that is, it would take an entire podcast episode, actually more than one. But basically, it's a very colorful chord that's used as a predominant, a chord that comes before the dominant. And I hope you know by now, if you've listened to my episodes, that the dominant is a chord associated with tension, and it leads to the chord of stability, or the tonic, and the tonic is the home key. In this case, the home key happens to be E major. Now, this particular French augmented sixth chord is in a different key. So, right in the second chord, we have something that's indicating a modulation, a different key. When I say modulation, I mean the key is changing, or at least what's called the tonicization. A tonicization is a very brief impression of a different key. In other words, you're tonicizing, you're making a new tonic. And we're getting this impression of a new key, or what seems to be a new key, in the second chord. Now what I'm going to do is play the first three chords. What he's doing there is he's inflecting the notes. In other words, he's nudging the notes of the harmony chromatically by half step to come up with different colors. So that third chord was a different type of a chord. It happens to be called a half diminished seventh chord. But the important point is that that third chord is now indicating yet another key. So three chords, the first chord is just the key of E major. The other two 
are, in just in terms of music theory, indicating different keys. Now let's see what he goes to with the end of that phrase. Now that last chord that I just played happens to be the dominant of the original key of E major. But what is so interesting about this is that even though it's the dominant of E major, it doesn't sound like that. It sounds like a new tonic or a new key. So Rimsky-Korsakov is, within four chords, is redefining the dominant to sound like stability or the tonic. So what's happening is in the second chord, you're getting this, what's called the French augmented sixth chord, which is indicating a completely different key. Then the third and the fourth chord are actually tonicizing the dominant. In other words, with the third and the fourth chord, he's making the dominant sound like the tonic, like your home key. And this is done in a very short amount of musical space, just four chords, and he's able to do that using very old modes either the Aeolian mode or the Mixolydian mode. Sometimes he's implying more one than the other, but they both have common features. Now, I could recompose that piece. I could recompose the harmonies to make it just sound like the key of E major from beginning to end, like this. And the last chord that I played, again, was the dominant of the original key, but it actually sounds like a dominant. You feel the tension, but when Rimsky-Korsakov composes it, it sounds like a completely new key in a very short amount of time. Now, what does he do after that? He repeats the melody, except the notes are higher. So what is Rimsky-Korsakov's procedure here? He's presenting you with a very short theme, really a melodic segment, a motive, and he's repeating it sequentially. So he's not presenting it in the traditional way that you might hear a melody with a structure of question phrase and answer phrase, but he's just repeating it sequentially, but he's doing it in such a way that we don't feel like we're home at any given moment. He's changing the key constantly. He's taking you away from the shore into the vast deep of the ocean. And even though the key center is changing, in other words, even though he keeps tonicizing new keys, the melody itself is repeating. That shows how the ocean just goes on and on and on, the same thing as far as you can see. Now, after the segment that I already played for you, what does he do? He repeats it. But the orchestration is thicker. It sounds more impressive and grander. Let's listen to that.
Now, after this, the solo violin returns, and remember, the solo violin represents Scheherazade herself. And right after that, Rimsky-Korsakov does something very interesting. Rather than just tell you, I'm going to let you listen to it, and maybe you can guess exactly, technically, what he's doing. So at the beginning of this excerpt, you're going to hear the solo violin, which is Scheherazade, but then the rest of the orchestra comes in, and that is the part that I'm interested in. So in that excerpt, first you hear Scheherazade's theme with the solo violin, but then the rest of the orchestra comes in. What does Rimsky-Korsakov do there? He treats the Scheherazade theme just like the king's theme, Sheriar's theme. In other words, he treats it as a sequence where the key is constantly changing. And as you're listening to it, you can actually, if you want to, you could sing the king's theme over Scheherazade's theme and it will fit. As a matter of fact, at the end of the excerpt, he brings back the king's theme. So the main identifying notes of Scheherazade's theme, becomes a sequence, and in that way, she becomes part of the grander sea theme, or ocean theme. Now, this device of composing a theme out of a sequence, which is a musical technique, it's not the only example. There are other examples. One is from Rachmaninoff's Symphony Number no. 2, The Third Movement. Now, listen to this theme and listen to how, besides being a melody, it's also a sequence at the same time. And that was Gennady Rostovensky conducting the London Philharmonic Orchestra. Did you hear how that theme was a sequence? In other words, he's repeating these melodic segments, but when he repeats them, he transposes them. Now here's a trivia question. Which pop artist dating back to 1976 adapted that very tune into a song? Anybody know it out there? I know my wife does. It's Eric Carmen's Never Gonna Fall in Love Again.
Oh, I'm sure Sergei Rachmaninoff would be very proud to hear that. Now, if you're interested in hearing a movie theme that's also a sequence, are you familiar with the film Oh God? That dates from the 70s as well, starring John Denver, the great singer. Not as great as an actor, but he's great singer John Denver and George Burns. Well, the main theme of that film, composed by Jack Elliott, is a sequence. And I'll let you listen to that, because if you haven't seen the film, I highly recommend it. It's a really great, heartwarming film. We only looked at part of the first movement of Scheherazade. If you haven't heard the rest of the symphonic suite, movements 2, 3, and 4, it's really worth your time. It's a great piece. And it's among the greatest musical representations of the sea or the ocean. Besides Debussy's La Mer, you should also listen to Mendelssohn's Hebrides Overture. Also, the English composer Benjamin Britten wrote an opera called Peter Grimes in which he writes sea music, which is also phenomenal. Well, I hope you enjoyed learning about Nikolai Rimsky-Korsakov and Scheherazade. Until next time, because one thing about Dr. Music, it just gets better and better.